Is becoming a new manager really that hard? Is gossiping at work good for you? Is it okay to take meetings from a salon chair in the middle of the workday? These are the kinds of questions and hot topics we dive into every day on our hit newsletter, Girlboss Daily. What else can you expect? Dream job postings, A-plus career advice, and a few emojis. Because we're fun like that. All delivered right to your inbox. Join 250,000 ambitious women and sign up at girlboss.com slash newsletter. That's girlboss.com slash newsletter. This is Girlboss Radio with me, Avery, your host. I'm the founder and CEO of the workplace design consultancy, Bloom. And as your host, I'm on a mission to bring you real, useful career advice through candid conversations with some of the world's most impressive women. Today, I'm joined by Emma Bates, the co-founder of DM, the world's first social search engine. Emma went to King's College in London for war studies. Yes, war studies. Then she switched her major to marketing. During her university days, she also started a blog that went viral. Her career took off when she landed a job as one of the early hires at Away, my favorite suitcase brand. And then a broken condom sparked the idea for DM. More on that later. And a community for women, femmes, and non-binary folks to share knowledge was born. Emma and I chatted about the complexities of the word girl boss, the fear of getting canceled as a woman founder, and how we can all solve the gender information gap. Let's get into it. Emma, welcome to Girl Boss Radio. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. First and foremost, how are you feeling? I am very excited to be here. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Excited to chat with you as well. I have so many questions. I was bursting at the seams thinking about some of the topics that I wanted to go over with you. There's a lot of overlap with what you do and what I do. But before we get into your career, what did you go to school for? I went to university for war studies. So war, sorry, did you say war studies? Yes, war studies. I am so happy I asked this question. Yeah, <laughs> it was a great question. Yeah, I studied war studies at King's College in London and I've always been very fascinated by sort of international relations and politics. I was obsessed with politics and history at school, very nerdy about both of them. And war studies was very interesting to me because it's not only a sort of more global understanding of international relations and why things happen, but it's basically psychology. It's like the most extreme form of human behavior. And I'm very passionate about consumer psychology and applied psychology, which is like marketing, basically. Yeah, it was just so interesting. I wrote my thesis on gender and sexual-based violence in regions of conflict and post-conflict and how the UN has actually often made that worse. I could talk about it for hours, but we probably don't want to talk about that today. That's so interesting. I wouldn't say that your work is like directly connected with social justice, but it definitely is. Wow. Okay. So before you co-founded DM, what were you doing for work? During said degree, I started a blog. This was probably about 10 years ago now, which sort of grew to many, many, many thousands of readers at one point. And it was really my first understanding of the space. It was pre-Instagram being where all your followers were. Like my readers from my blog went to Instagram and became my followers that way. So it was definitely very early in the creator landscape. And I quickly realized I really did not like doing that around myself. I still find the concept of like personal brand and all of that sort of thing deeply uncomfortable in many ways, being British and being told not to talk about yourself my whole life. I guess I really enjoyed the building of an audience, building community and building a network of, of potential customers. And so I went into marketing after I graduated, always in startups, 
So yeah, I marketed a consumer tech company. I was head of community there, very like third employee. Then I was approached by the co-founders of Away when Away was, I don't know, I want to say like 10-ish employees, 2016. And I joined them for the first three years of the business. Partnerships, marketing, international launches, all of the stuff in between. Yeah, that brings me up. Well, and then I founded DM, but that's what I did before. So I have to ask you, what was your experience working at Away? I had a pretty good experience, I would say. I think I was an early employee, so I felt pretty comfortable there most of the time. Like when you've been somewhere so long, you kind of know the ins and the outs of the business. I got truly amazing exposure to the inner workings of a startup and got given projects that someone I was, I don't know, like 23, 24 at the time would never be put in charge of things like that at a bigger company. So I definitely credit that experience with a lot of my understanding of of building a business and marketing a company and getting it from like literally no one knowing it to what away is today. I, on the whole, had a pretty, it was definitely stressful as every startup is, but I had a pretty good experience. So I'm, I'm familiar with Away because I've, I've bought a bunch of their products. I've spent more money on luggage because I travel a lot than I probably have spent on like anything else this past year. All my take-home money has gone towards my beloved Away bags. I have like the silver luggage. I love it. Oh, the aluminum. The aluminum ones. Yeah, I love it. I just feel so, I feel like a traveler when I travel with that case. I'm a big fan. And I was really discouraged when I I learned about Steph Corey, because I know that she was kind of at the helm of a social media storm, if you will, that led her to stepping down. You've talked a lot on your blog about social media community takedowns, specifically of women in business and women that are in high levels of different organizations, whether it be leaders or executive levels. What's your take on Steph Corey's demise? Well, I think that the general like trend of founder or specifically female founder takedowns is, I mean, it feels obvious in hindsight, like it feels obvious that a woman would be taken down if they are successful, not because they're successful, but they're held to a different standard at every single point of their journey founding a company. I've worked in enough startup-esque environments. It's the only working experience I've had has been in startups. And the reality of the fast paced nature and growth and like stress of just existing in a fight or flight state as a business, the culture that can evolve around that if there's not enough attention paid to creating good culture is not a byproduct of the gender of the founder. It's a byproduct of like a venture capital backed business where growth at all costs is literally the only goal. And having seen that from the founder side now, like as soon as you get on that venture capital journey, there is a very specific outcome and a very specific number of years in which they are anticipating said outcome. I definitely believe there are opportunities for every type of leader, regardless of their gender, to learn. Certainly young founders, like at least all of the founders in that wave of the girl boss era, were all incredibly young. They were in their 20s when they founded these companies. And same as me, I started DM when I was 27. And you don't know everything. You don't know how to lead a company and you don't get the support really unless you have executive coaches or investors that encourage that. So I just think it's a very unfair, I don't know if paradigm is the right word, but existence that these women are put into where they have to not only be the face, but also like be cultivating incredible culture and they've never done it before. 
Yeah. And I think that the expectation is completely different of women and women in a VC-backed environment, whether they're the leader or not. Sometimes this extends to every element of the organization than men. I haven't seen the same takedown witch hunts, if you will, of men when it comes to holding them accountable for like toxic company cultures. Look at Elon Musk, right? And I just think it's so interesting how women continue to be held to a completely different standard. I mean, there's terminology that capture what this all is. And the glass cliff is a really great example of why women are almost in most cases set up to fail. Growth at all costs is completely at odds with building these really robust, affirming, empathetic and thoughtful company cultures. It's definitely not an excuse to be badly behaved by any means. It just is like what you're compared against and the pedestal that you're put on by the nature of being like a female founder. And I honestly hate that there's even the term female founder, but you don't really have a chance (laughs) or at least you didn't in the last six, seven years. Yeah. You mentioned the girl bossing. And before we get into like what it is that you do, which we will get to, I think people are listening being like, hey, let's talk about DM. (laughs) Before we get into DM, I wanted to talk to you because I feel like you'd be the best guest for us to chat with about this. Is like, what are your thoughts on the word girl boss? Ah, what a loaded question. So I have many different tangents. The first, which is probably the most obvious, anytime that you have to label something via its gender, probably just indicates that there's a huge representation problem. If we assume things to be default male, which we do in the majority of our world, you obviously have to label if something is different from the default male status quo that we have come to accept. Boss being heavily masculine traditionally. So everyone's like girl boss because they look different. So I think that's like definitely more of an obvious statement. I think I have mixed feelings around the word itself and how it's impacted me. When the girl boss phenomenon started, it was like very powerful to see this wave of women come up in leadership and do cool things and break barriers. And in the world of social media, more so than in the world of like more traditional media, we had to like create a movement around that. And and I think that the platforms we existed in almost like furthered this concept of a girl boss being a trend. And I do think that obviously the first wave was like very exclusive and lacking in a lot of diversity and there were a lot of faults with it. But I do think that the concept of like women doing things that we traditionally have not been allowed to do still remains very powerful. I think that my dislike of the term is definitely more around my first point in that the more that we keep labeling ourselves as like different, I think that people continue to view us as being different. Why am I called a female founder? Why am I not just called a founder? Why am I a girl boss and not just a boss? I love your thoughts specifically on like, why is it not just a boss or a founder? And I actually shared similar sentiments. So as you were sharing your explanation of this, I went back to a post that I had shared November 9th, 2020. And I'm just going to read this very quickly because it's interesting because now I'm like the host of Girl Boss Radio. And Girl Boss, by the way, did respond, but I actually posted a post with Girl Boss with girl crossed out. I still have it up. And what I wrote was, I'm not a boss babe or a girl boss. And one day I don't aspire to be a CEO. I'm not overly offended by women who refer to themselves this way, but I cringe a little every time I hear it. I don't have a visceral reaction when my mom comments boss babe on a photo of mine when she's proud of me. I also don't get offended when I see women launching successful businesses around these very terms. I'm hoping that one day when we hear CEO, boss or anything, we don't have any assumptions around the gender of that person at all. 
So the post is still on my Instagram, but I think what's interesting about this is that what I've acknowledged that you shared is the community that was built around this. And I think that sometimes when we're aware that there's a lack of representation of women in business or women in founder roles or women entrepreneurs, then there is so much importance in kind of finding that community. Like anything, we change our minds over time. And I've changed my mind about Girl Boss because what I've acknowledged and observed over the since 2020 is a complete shift in the content, the representation, the conversations that they're starting and really spearheading online, which I think is really important for not only like for people in my generation, but even younger generations, like young girls that do want to really take full ownership and have autonomy over their careers. So to you, what do you think it means to be a girl boss? I've always explored the idea of what like feminine power looks like, because I think every thing that at least I've been socialized with is we're striving to be like the men in power. Gender equality is having the same as what men have traditionally had. And I just like think that that does a discredit to all the stuff that we might be better at than say someone who identifies as a man or is a cis white male leader at the top of a bank, for example, the word itself might give a bit of permission around like exploring what a different type of power could look like. What could success look like for someone who looks like either of us? I view it as more of like a challenge. I agree with what you're saying. And I think that it's a complex question because I think that it's ever evolving and changing. There's days where I feel like a girl boss, but then I'll see some folks using girl boss on like TikTok and be like, that's not what girl boss is. There's a sound right now that's like, I girl boss too hard. And now I have like a job and real responsibilities and everything. You know, I've heard that sound. And I'm like, that's not really totally aligned with like, to me, what the essence of being a girl boss is. But I think it's good that people have found. And I mean, we have a community of almost 2 million folks that are connected to the work that we're doing, which I think is super powerful. And I think that that's what matters more than how we frame or name things in some cases. We go through a lot of emotions in one workday. You feel like a success in the morning and a complete failure by the afternoon. That's why we created our Workplace Affirmation Deck, a 50-card deck to help you cope with every kind of day at the office. It's divided by five emotions. When you're feeling unstoppable, when you're craving change, when you're feeling uncertain, when you totally messed up, and when you just can't even. Prop one on your desk, tuck it in a notebook, or even pass one along to a friend who could use it. Get yours today at girlboss.com slash affirmations. That's girlboss.com slash affirmations. You're listening to my chat with Emma. Next up, we talk about what it's really like to build a tech company when you're not a technical person. Let's get back into it. Let's get into your role as the co-founder of DM. So for folks that are listening that have no idea what DM is, that haven't necessarily used it yet, share with us, like, what is DM all about? We're building a social search engine that is inspired by the way that women have traditionally shared information over centuries. What we really mean by that is we socially search every single day. Think of how many times you ask questions of your friends, you post things maybe on Instagram, you're typing into Google, hoping that you might get some human replies as part of your search results. Social searching is especially prevalent amongst sort of our core demographic because of the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, almost everything in the world is default male. The information that we engage with from a medical perspective, financial terminology or experiences of navigating finances, the book Invisible Women basically will summarize all of that for you. 
we know that the fastest way to information is through each other. And that's really what we're recognizing with DM is there's a lot of power in the conversations that we share with each other, whether they be digitally or in the real world. And we believe that those conversations should be resources for everyone. If you have that awkward, is it normal question or that slightly taboo topic that you don't really want to ask your friendship group in, in your private group chat, but you really desperately need human answers, like that's why DM exists. You can ask the most taboo in your mind question that you could possibly think of. And based off of the conversations that happen in DM, we generate a summary for you of what that answer is. You can then post that to the community and ask for further people to weigh in. So really it is a way of socially searching beyond your private group chat. I love that. How are you able to remove gender bias from your search engine? The most important is the way that we generate these answers for you and point you in the right direction from a search perspective is trained off of conversations that have been happening within the platform, which means that all of these conversations, whether it be on sex or money or like reproductive health or I don't know, navigating adult friendships, all of those have been had by people like you or I. And that means that those conversations are naturally slightly more, let's say, inclusive because they've come from people who have experienced them versus like WebMD or anywhere else that we might be sourcing this information. The way that we will continually try to remove bias is ensuring that the data models that power this search experience, like if there's conversation that is perhaps not good in terms of inclusivity or whatever, we will be able to like mitigate that on the back end and like try to train the model in a better way than may currently exist. Yeah. And you have a really fantastic guidelines. I don't want to frame it as a code of conduct. I don't think that that's how you framed it, but you have like a community culture and under the community culture, you have different codes around like kindness and curiosity, give first, facts, not fiction, offering and suggestions, empathetic engagement, and even like the legal rules of engagement. It's really clear in terms of how you're inviting people into the space, but also how you're cultivating a safe space for folks that are engaging in this, what you frame as like big group chat energy, which I love. Maybe this is too much to ask. There's things that are on the tip of my tongue and I'm kind of having this internal dialogue being like, don't ask that, don't ask that, don't ask that. But you seem very open. Would you feel comfortable kind of sharing with us like what personal experience led to you co-founding DM? Yeah, I have very few boundaries, I guess, when it comes to talking about this. But yeah, basically I had to take the morning after pill a couple of years ago and after a condom breaking. And that is in short what led to founding DM. It was in that moment, I'm sure that anyone listening has had the exact same experience, whether it be in relation to a condom breaking or something else, where you're like, I just want stories. Like, I don't care what WebMD says about the side effects that I could read on the side of the packet as I'm furiously trying to rip into the 5,000 layers the Plan B pill is wrapped in. I want to read what someone who has also had bad experiences on birth control what happened to them when they took the morning after pill? How long did they have a period for? I had one for five weeks. I didn't know that was going to happen. And I knew that the content and those conversations were out there. I wrote a whole newsletter blog post on how I think women's gossip could build the new search engine. But I do genuinely believe that. Like our stories are so powerful, but we've been told they have no value. And the fact that we've been told conversations have very little value has also informed how features have been designed. I think that just by very simply being like, hang on a second, all I ever want when I ask questions like that in Google is other people's human stories. Why haven't we built things that way? 
So yeah, in short, a condom breaking. I'm big on conversations. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I love hosting a podcast is that this is when I have found the most meaningful support for some of the most challenging things that I've gone through is being able to talk to someone that has had the same experience. And I had a similar experience to you back when I was in my early 20s and I had to go and get the morning after pill as a result. And when I took the morning after pill, I didn't know until after it was too late. And I think that I'll leave it up to the audience to make assumptions around what that led to that there's a weight class under the morning after pill. So if you are think, and don't quote me on this, and it could change, I haven't taken it in quite some time. But at the time, I think it was like if you were over 165 pounds, it doesn't work. The likelihood of it working is decreased significantly. And the only time that I've ever seen a similar conversation or story like that on the TV series Shrill. It's incredible. It's on HBO. And it's the first episode is she has a similar experience where she takes the morning after pill. And it's not until she goes back after and it's like, I want my money back. I got pregnant that they're like, oh, you're not under the weight for this. And it was just like a shocking discovery. I remember watching it and being like, yes, like finally someone's talking about this. All of that information is accessible if we're given the tools to find the people that do have those experiences. What are some of like the most popular conversations that are happening within DM right now? They typically fall within three buckets. Those are health, reproductive health, predominantly money, and less like how do I open a 401k, but like my friends earn more money than me. Like how do I continue to socialize with them? Or how do I talk about a prenup with my partner? Or I would describe it as more like lifestyle money content. And then the third is relationships. And not just like, I've been ghosted, although that definitely does get asked. It's like, my friends are all having children, but I don't want them. And how do I make friends as an adult? I feel like I have no friends. Where do you think that TikTok and these massive social media platforms aren't offering spaces for folks to engage in real conversations about things that impact them? I mean, traditional or incumbent social platforms like the TikToks, Twitters, the Instagrams of the world, they all first of all, center on like visual media. Um, obviously Twitter doesn't, but Instagram, TikTok, visual media opens up a lot of insecurity for a lot of people. It's very performative. It prevents conversation for happening for both of those reasons. The mediums in which you share are very like you're standing on a stage versus like attending a party. There's a lot that hinders actual conversation happening. For us, I think something that's really interesting is like all you do in DM is talk to other people. Like that's the only thing you can do there is reply to people or read people's conversations. And we always say we want to emulate the energy that's in like the women's bathroom at one in the morning. And so I think that really, like we say that DM is the place that you come when you have questions that you don't want to ask your group chat. You don't come to DM to like hang out with your friends, which is what we've been trained to do uh, or sort of follow all of our friends, at least on all of the other platforms. You come there when you're like, I have a question or I want to start a conversation and I don't know who to ask, or I'm curious what other people think of this beyond my bubble. So yeah, really it's, it's for, it's for those times. So I'm actually curious to understand what your definition of success is, because you've clearly accomplished a lot. You've worked with some of, well, with one of the most iconic brands that exists today. And now you've built out this evergreen tool. That's like, it doesn't exist. It's like incredible. And it's positively impacting so many people's lives that need it the most. What to you is the definition of success? Success to me is more about what I can achieve over 
my lifespan. I got this advice from someone a couple of years ago that you should almost like create like a mission statement for your life really, or like a vision for like the impact that you could have in your role, in your personal life, in the world at large. And so that's kind of my overall goal in life is to have a meaningful impact on gender equality, gender equity, whatever those two words really mean in practice. And I think that's what success for me professionally would look like, hopefully via DM, maybe via whatever I do after DM. I'm also like very financially motivated. I would love to unlock financial freedom for myself. I think it's really powerful when you have access to capital that you can then choose to put it in different places that you're passionate about. So that's also a big part of success in my view. And also just being happy. I think like optimizing for happiness in my personal life. I love how you emphasize that you are money motivated. I think that also in some cases, the more money you have, it also helps to remove barriers in terms of the more time that you have available. So for me, as I've made more money, I now can pay people to do things that I wouldn't necessarily do. And it goes back to the conversation around like, you have the same amount of time in the day as like Beyonce. Yeah, but Beyonce can afford to have like 15 people doing things that I don't have access to paying people to do. So we don't actually have the same 24 hours in a day. This is true for a lot of people that have reached that level of financial independence. So I love that you mentioned that. So based on your definition of success, do you believe that you are successful? I think it would sound bad if I said no. It won't. It's not bad. It's honest. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think I've done everything I want to do yet. I definitely recognize I've been successful professionally on paper, done great jobs, earned a reasonable salary as a result of that. I've successfully fundraised money in an environment that does not want to back companies that are female-led in terms of impacting others' lives positively. Hopefully my next decade will unlock that further. I love that. That's so interesting because I feel like I go through waves of feeling successful or not. And I think that I've gotten to a place too personally where even what appears to be a big win externally doesn't feel like a big win for me because I want specifically everyone at Bloom winning in that big way with me. I don't know. I feel like sometimes these big milestones that you achieve are really lonely and they're so much more fulfilling when you're celebrating with others. I agree. So you mentioned successfully raising money for your business during a time where it's been really challenging for women to do so. How much money did you raise? Raised, I think it's around 3.7 so far. Wow, that's incredible. And you and I had talked offline a little bit about the lack of diversity in tech. I feel like this is a bit of a tired conversation. I don't want to get into that too much, but I would love to get your advice. What advice do you have for our listeners that are non-technical, because you are non-technical, that want to found a tech company? I completely see how it feels as though it is like a black box. I felt that way for a very long time, but there are so many people out there who are willing to either build things for you, honestly, for free a lot of the time, just to help you get an MVP out the door. There are so many people who are willing to explain things to you in layman's terms. I think as we know across every industry, like I'm going to blank on the word, I think it's acronyms, are used like, I don't know, almost to gatekeep information and to gatekeep access in a lot of ways. And that's definitely true in technology. But like, if you're smart, which you probably are, it's not that hard to understand if someone like takes the time to be like, no, that word actually means this or like metadata means like applying a specific set of like directions for the data to be processed. 
that was a terrible description, but like words like that feel very overwhelming, but they actually are very simple when someone explains what they are. And there are many, many, many people out there who would be very willing to build things with you. You've co-founded a business that is powered by AI. Before founding a company around it, where was your knowledge base around AI? Oh my God, like not high. And I'm curious in terms of like ChatGPT, what are your thoughts on ChatGPT? How do you think it's going to change the way that women gather and share information with one another? I don't think ChatGPT will change that, but DM will. Love it. <laughs> That's like such a good answer. <laughs> That's the soundbite right there. <laughs> Before we wrap up, I wanted to get your advice on folks that are considering moving into tech. I know that tech has been positioned for a long time as like the end all be all. Get into tech and you'll have a great salary. You'll have job security. Maybe you'll have access to equity one day. I know that tech has been going through a challenging time, right? A lot of layoffs and downsizing. Do you believe that tech is the end-all be-all for a lot of folks? No, definitely not. I think that from a professional standpoint, like sure, working in tech could give you a good salary, just like working in banking could give you a good salary or any of the industries that have a lot of money available from an employee perspective. Technology as the be-all, end-all of society, I think is dangerous. I am very excited by technology that can unlock more human experiences or provide access to people in the real world. And that URL, IRL connection is very, very interesting to me. What advice do you have for women in tech or even girls that are listening that want to embark in tech that still kind of identify and connect with what you just said about the opportunity for tech to unlock this new shift in society and to connect the URL with the IRL. What advice do you have to them to kind of maintain their independence and to like navigate these tech workplaces in a way that's not disenfranchising and doesn't like tear them down? Something I always remind myself of is if you feel uncomfortable, it's not necessarily because you don't have the skills to go and execute on something. It may well be and usually is because of the environment that you currently are building within. And so just like reminding yourself of that when you start to feel lacking in confidence and being like, can I really do this? Can I build a technical company if I have absolutely no skills in engineering? The answer is probably still yes. It's just reminding yourself that the environment you might currently be in hasn't been designed for you. It doesn't see you in the way that maybe you want to be seen. But if more people say like myself or us as a collective of women enter into this space and continue doing what we're doing, then hopefully it will become more comfortable with time. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that advice. I'm, I'm sure a lot of folks listening feel really affirmed by what you just shared with them. So before we wrap up, I wanted to do a quick in and out segment. So this is a part of the conversation where I get your take on what you believe is in or out. For folks that can't see Emma, she just like leaned forward and got pretty excited. excited. (laughs) (laughs) In or out meetings. In. I love talking to people. Meetups. Very in. Very in with meetups. Talking about what you earn. Oh my God. So more in than anything I've just said into. (laughs) Period period. Working in office. I'm going to say partially out. I'm definitely for the occasional in-person. Definitely not what it used to be. Blogs. 
Oh my god, in. I love vlogs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm biased, but I love vlogs. <laughs> is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you would believe is out that is like deeply a part of our work culture right now? Obsessively checking Slack. So distracting. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing. This was such a great conversation. I feel like we could have spoke for hours. Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Come try out DM. Amazing. Perfect. Well, Emma, thank you again for taking the time to share more about what you're building with the community here at Girl Boss Radio. And I'm going to wish you a great day. Thank you, Avery. It was great to chat with you. Thank you for listening to my chat with Emma. I wish I had something like DM growing up. It's so important to have online spaces that are safe and inclusive for everyone. Come back next week for another episode of Girlboss Radio. And in the meantime, please rate this episode or leave a comment to let us know what you thought. As always, this podcast is produced by Liz Goober and Victoria Christie and edited by Diego Domine. Until next time, keep blooming.